Hello, everyone, and welcome to the pilot episode of Speculum, where we open up and inspect the most sensitive topics in medicine. <laughs> My name is Alyssa Zuquet. I'm a medical student that just wants to make the medical community a little bit brighter. So, in the context of this episode, I'm going to say that I identify as a female person with she, her pronouns, and now I'm going to let my colleagues introduce themselves. Oh, my name's Casey. I am a second year medical student, and I am a queer cisgender woman. And yeah, I'm really glad Alyssa's doing this episode. So we talk a lot about sexism we experience just among our friend group, but I think letting it get out there is important. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess I'll go next. My name's Rebecca. I'm also a second year medical student. Um, I use she, her pronouns. And um, yeah, I'm interested to see where this goes. And... My name's Megan. I'm also a second year medical student, and I also use she, her pronouns, and this should be interesting. And see, that's good to know, because what I wanted to do with this episode was discuss sexism from people that identify as female from our perspective. So, sexism within the medical community, guys. First of all, do you guys want to talk about what sexism means to you? Well, do you want, like, the textbook? It's a system of oppression that's built into our institutions. And, I mean, what that looks like for us as medical students is that women weren't allowed to be doctors for a very long time. And uh, the medical institution has also played its part in contributing to scientific literature around um, hysteria or other conditions where... um, they used medicalized terminology and so-called like science to oppress women or put forward ideas that they couldn't do certain things because of you know biology or trying to justify it from that standpoint. Um, is that like what you're looking for? No, definitely. But I also kind of want to know how what it means to you like i understand the the overall definition but like when you're thinking about sexism within your own life perhaps or people that you know what do you think about in that context i view sexism for in terms of more modern day so my view of sexism is when women are viewed as incompetent or that they are meant to be in a certain professional role and that's kind of what I view as sexism in the medical environment. What certain professional role are you thinking of or do you see as being sexist? Could you elaborate on that a little bit? I think the assumption that most people get when I say that I'm in medical school is that I'm going to become a nurse. And that is probably 99% of people whenever I say that I am in medical school. So that is something that people don't mean in a negative way, however, is extremely sexist because women can become doctors too, and half of our class are female. Yet all of us, at one time or another, it's usually assumed that we're going to become a nurse because we're female, and male students don't experience this. 
and I've asked. On that topic, um, have you too experienced a situation in which people assumed that you were going to become a nurse rather than a doctor? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, what was that like? What happened? Um, kind of, I think that from what I've heard from other people, the way that this situation pans out is almost like it's scripted. You come in, it's usually in a placement, rotation, preceptor's office kind of environment. You introduce yourself or they introduce you as a medical student and the patient says, oh, you're studying to become a nurse. Mm -hmm. And you have to say, no, <laughs> actually, um, I'm studying to become a doctor or mm -hmm. your preceptor does. And it's always a little bit awkward. Um, I haven't found a really comfortable way to handle that particular interaction. It's happened to me a couple times. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I find interesting about the, these interactions is that I've also had this a few times, most recently on Saturday, actually. Um, somebody asked me what I was doing in school. I said, oh, I'm in medicine. They said, oh, are you going to become a nurse? I said, no, uh, I'm going to become a doctor. But whenever this comes up, because that's usually how the interaction goes when, I've, when it's happened to me. And what I'm always wondering in the back of my mind is that does the general population have a different idea of what medicine is than we do? Like, Because we're in the program, so when we say we're in medicine, then that means I'm going to be a doctor, right? But for the general population, do they think of medicine as like a full, the full spectrum of healthcare? I mean, it's still like, obviously, there's still the sexist component that they automatically assume that even if I'm in the healthcare system, I am probably going to be a nurse because I'm a woman. So that's still there, of course. But is there confusion within other people that aren't within the medical community about what medicine means? I think that the general public probably don't uh, know that medical school is just for physicians. However, my big issue, like I could, I would be fine with that if it wasn't that every male student, when they say they're in medical school, automatically they're assumed to become doctors. That's the bigger issue. I don't think a lot of people understand what medical school is. But just to have that bias out there and just to have the automatic assumption that we're nurses and male students are doctors, that's the issue. I have a complicated relationship with this, part, this particular question, mostly because, you know, many of the women in my family have been nurses and my mom's a nurse and many of the medical professionals and my role models growing up have been nurses and I don't think that that is in any way less than physician or less than um, any other medical profession. And so on the one hand, when people assume that I'm going to be a nurse, I think, well, I wish, you know, I think that would be a great career, and um, I almost did it, and I mean, there are a couple of reasons why I went into a physician's program instead of nursing, but like, the other aspect is, yes, people do assume that women in medical professions are nurses, and I think that if you were to interview 
female doctors who are on the wards, um, that assumption probably plays out there as well. And uh, yeah, I, I just, I want to have this conversation, but I also don't want to disparage nurses in any way. Oh, of course not. That, I don't think that's our intention at all, is to put down nurses in any way. It's a very difficult and honorable profession. I think it's more just the assumption, the assumption th- that as a woman, you're going to be a nurse automatically. Like, it's the stereotype there. Yeah, I find that the stereotype is problematic because my mother's also a nurse. Completely respect that field. Also, amazing career. There's nothing against nurses. Honestly, they're the backbone of our medical system, and without them, this would not work at all. And they play way bigger role, I think, than doctors do. But I just think it's the assumption that's the problem, especially since male students don't get that assumption either. I think I think that's my main issue. Is just because we're so gender stereotyped that women in medicine become nurses, not doctors, and it's more the like the follow up reaction to when you tell a patient that you're becoming a doctor. I think that is potentially worse than someone just assuming that you're becoming a nurse. So this sounds like this sounds like things that could have maybe happened before medical school. Like this is just casual sexism you experienced maybe when you said, oh, hey, I'm thinking about going to school to become a doctor or whatever. But how do you, now that you're within the medical community to a certain extent as medical students, um, how do you find that that sexism is different or the same? Because now it's like, what do you experience within the actual community? Honestly, I experience more sexism within medical school than I have outside of it. Throughout my entire life, me being a woman was never an issue. I never heard that many sexist things every once in a while. But it's way more persuasive and pervasive in the medical school community. In what way? Just the, the fact that people assume I'm a nurse or that females become nurses when they're involved in medicine or just kind of how lecturers kind of talk or how different small groups interact, assuming that like all women of childbearing years are pregnant until proven otherwise, which is a very general consensus of many people. I think that, like, all those small things kind of add up. And I definitely think sexism is a problem in the medical school community. And I think in our careers, we're going to experience a lot of it. So, yay! How did you feel about that? Because I was really disappointed. Because as a young undergrad aspiring to medical school, I looked at the medical community and said, we have come so far. Like, look at all these women becoming doctors, um, doing such successful things within the medical community. Uh, Our, like, our numbers, the number of women coming out of medical school and into the medical field is, like, doing so well. So when I got in, 
And I noticed how pervasive the sexist attitudes were still throughout the medical community, even with all of this progress. I was really disappointed. I think to me, just to bring back, we had a lecturer a few weeks ago who was talking about her time as a medical student and she was what, in her 40s? And she was saying that when she was going into her final years of medical school and trying to choose a residency, um, she really wanted to be an orthopedic surgeon and that like was kind of what she had gone into medical school for. And that had been sort of her dream from the very beginning and uh, she had approached the head of this residency program and, and told him that. And even though she had performed very well on that rotation, this this person said, oh, don't bother, don't waste your time on that application because we don't accept women into this program. And uh, that certainly, if something like that happened today, we have a lot of um, safety nets, I think, and I'm really grateful for those. But it also, just the little things that people say on the day-to-day, the little microaggressions and the little... um, offhand comments and the things that belittle women on a day-to-day basis make me feel, even if that's not the intention of the people saying these things, it makes me feel that even though people can't say stuff like that anymore, they, they would if they could. They would if it wasn't politically correct and that's kind of the only thing holding them back, you know? Definitely. Um, what kind of microaggressions have you experienced? Um, similar to what the other two talked about, like I, there's definitely an assumption that, um, that patients and people who maybe are not already doctors make about how we're, about me going into nursing and, uh, we've talked about, we've pretty much beaten that horse, (laughs) but, uh, I, I think also just the way in which I'm with a female family practice preceptor now, and it's so nice, but I had previously been with two male family practice preceptors, and both of them had been practicing for a long time, and even though I don't think they were questioning my competence, there were always these little offhand comments about how... um, oh, we got to watch what we say around this one, she'll get offended, or whatever, this banter between the physician and his patients, and his male patients specifically. And it, it's very uncomfortable for me to be in that situation, because if you don't go along with it, then you're making it an awkward patient encounter. You don't want to alienate your patient, right? But also, on the other hand, it does upset me when people say stuff like that, because of course it's upsetting to me that you think that if I weren't here, it would be okay to say those things, you know? Mm -hmm. So how did you react to those situations? You know, uh, much to my chagrin, I kept my head down and, you know, I, you know, you smile and you nod and you move on to the next subject. Right. Do you wish that kind of you had spoken up or that your preceptor had spoken up about not making comments like that? I wish, like, the thing is that he clearly understood that 
saying those things would make me uncomfortable because he commented on it. Like that was his comment. Oh, we got to be PC. They're teaching them PC stuff these days. But he also wasn't like honoring the intention behind that sentiment, you know? And so I wish I had said to him outside of the patient room, you know, that really does upset me. Can you please not say those things to your patients in front of me? Because it makes it very awkward for me. And, um, but on the other hand, like I didn't want to ruin my easy relationship with my preceptor either. So I didn't say anything. Yeah. It, it's really, really hard, especially when it comes from your preceptor, because there's that power imbalance between you and them. And they're the ones that are going to be kind of evaluating you and you don't want to create a bad relationship with them. So I totally understand. I never personally got it from my preceptor, but I did get it a lot from patients. And actually, now that you mention it, it was way more, I got it way more when I had a male preceptor than when I have a, I have a female preceptor now. And I've basically got no comments that I would even ever interpret as microaggressions or any background sexism. But when I was with a male preceptor, what happened all the time was using language that kind of diminished me as a future doctor. So I got called sweetheart a lot and honey and people would comment like, oh, you're so young and small. You're going to be a doctor. And I'm, and I, yeah, I am. And, you know, things like that. Maybe they don't mean anything by it. It's just kind of, you know, older people think, I don't know. I don't, it's not an excuse, really. Um, age is not an excuse to make comments that diminish people like that. But I did feel like I was being, I was being put down, and my position as a learning medical student about to enter the world of medicine, and maybe I'll be your doctor one day, and they're treating me like a child, you know? Yeah. I find it interesting, too, because I've had one female preceptor and two male preceptors, and I only get the sexist comments and the microaggressions when I have a male preceptor. When it's a female preceptor, I guess it's maybe more normalized that women can become doctors, too, or maybe it's because the patient aren't as comfortable to actually be sexist if their preceptor is female. Because I get called sweetheart and honey probably every single time I go to the family office. Uh, I probably have about three patients each time as well ask me if I'm going to become a nurse. And when I say I'm going to become a doctor, they always tell me how proud they are of me that I'm a woman going in and entering medicine and becoming a doctor and how good that I am to be doing that. And like, once you hear those comments enough, you're, you just, you get kind of tired of them. The first time was enough, honestly. Uh, because, maybe it's because I'm a Libra. Haha, <laughs> that's a joke. Um, but I feel a strong need to counterbalance every argument and be the devil's advocate. And I have been in three family practice office rotations. Two of my preceptors have been female. And one, the most recent, is male. 
and I actually haven't experienced any or haven't noticed I guess I shouldn't say experience because maybe I have and I just haven't picked up on it but I haven't really noticed a difference in the way that I've been treated either by my preceptors or by my patients with regards to being a woman in medicine and either of those two things um, if it's okay with you I did kind of want to talk a little bit about the um, sexism about the future career and kind of that transition from being an undergrad to being involved in the medical program. Is that okay? I know that we've kind of gone in a bit of a different direction. So is it okay if I move it it. back like that? Okay. So um, about that, see, it's a little bit tricky for me to say one way or the other because I actually haven't really discussed what the reception was of my male colleagues, friends, classmates, when they told people that they wanted to become doctors or that they were accepted into medical school. So it's kind of hard for me to compare to say like, oh yeah, you know, maybe that was sexist or maybe it wasn't um, without having that as a reference point. But what I could tell you is that I got a lot of discouragement Um, when I told people that I wanted to become a doctor. People said, oh, that's hard, a long road, those kind of things, as if they doubted that I had the strength, stamina, and endurance to manage that. And um, that was from both male and female members of of my community, from professors, classmates, just about everybody I talked to had that kind of a reaction. I only got a handful of positive or encouraging responses when I told people I wanted to become a doctor. And interestingly, all of those were from practicing clinicians. Hmm. So if I went in and had an appointment, for example, and they say, oh, like, what are you doing? Are you a student? Say, yeah, I am. What are you studying? Well, you know, I'm hoping to go into medicine. Oh, really? Good for you. I would get that kind of reaction from them, but that's... uh, really the only positive responses I got. Um, When I got into medical school, I feel like the trend remained pretty much the same. For everybody that congratulated me on my acceptance, there was at least one person who responded to the news with disapproval or discouragement, which really did surprise me. I don't know if that's similar to what male friends, colleagues, classmates might have experienced or not, because I haven't talked to them, but that is my experience. Why do you think that was? I don't know. I'm hoping that it's not, you know, just a, a personal kind of comment, like these people saying, oh, well, you know, I don't think you have the stamina. <laughs> I don't think you have the endurance. Um, I think that I would rather blame it on some kind of systemic, institutionalized microaggression than on people not thinking I could handle it. But, you know, um, I'm not really sure. It's just, it, it's surprising. What about you guys? Like, part of the reason why I wanted to bring that up and kind of bring the discussion back to that is because I wasn't sure. Like, I've never talked to anyone about that before, about, you know, the folks kind of like drawing me close and being like, are you sure about this? Medicine's really hard. Like, yeah. I, I got those from like bank tellers. And they're just like, oh yeah, I need to get a loan because I'm entering medicine. And they're like, oh wow, that's really difficult. And you're just like, yes, I know. Thanks. You know what? I honestly can say that that didn't happen to me 
I don't know what it was. Maybe it's because we were just part of different communities. Like, I know, Rebecca, you're from a small town where maybe it's kind of unheard of for people to go away and go into medical school just because it's... And that's nothing against small towns. I just mean, like, lower population. You have less people that are... What? It actually wasn't as bad when I was back there. No, the stuff that I'm thinking about more specifically was when I was studying, like, in Vancouver, in Victoria, um, prior to getting in, especially professors. Do you think that if we were going to chalk it up to sexism, do you think that it could be because because of your demeanor like women are considered you know soft gentle caring and maybe people are seeing this woman in front of them who is soft gentle and caring that's not a bad thing but looking at them and saying I don't think that you have the strength to make it through such a hard um schooling slash career do you think that has something to do with it I think that's sexist in itself Oh, that's like, what I'm, I'm saying. Yeah, it's it's completely sexist. I am I do not come off as a soft, caring person because I never have Re- Rebecca. Rebecca does, yeah. <laughs> Rebecca's soft and caring. However, we both experience it, and we're quite different in personality wise. But like, really, like I I think people assuming that women are supposed to be soft and caring, compassionate. Like you can be all those things. But at the same time, not really show it and be quite aggressive. And what we're termed as aggressive, I call passionate. But again, sex is in itself. If a man said the same thing with such passion as I did, they would say he's passionate. But if I do it, I'm aggressive. Sexism. (laughs) (laughs) Do you want to go on to the next question? Sure. Sure sexism as a patient one yeah I guess that that might be a little bit outside of the context of what I was trying to go for because um as medical students I want to see what you guys think about it within the medical community and it's a little bit of a different experience as a patient I think you don't view the healthcare system in the same way you kind of you don't have the inside information to the healthcare system but sure let's um let's talk about that well, yeah, Casey has good ones. Yeah, no, let's go for it. Yeah, so, like, I think the thing with that is um, even if you experience the medical system differently as a patient, as a woman, you bring those patient experiences with you into medical school and into your understandings as a doctor. Or, and, you know, like... Megan, everybody knows this story already, but... Um, Not the viewers. <laughs> the viewers. The listeners. The listeners. <laughs> yeah. And I'm going to keep this as general as possible because like, it's, it's sort of a more confidential space that we were learning in. But um, it was a situation in which there was a debate about whether to test a young teenage patient to see if they were pregnant, not a real patient, a hypothetical patient. We were just talking through a problem. And um, this patient had been screened for sexual activity and said they hadn't had sex in the last year or something like that and had been, you know, what I felt to be appropriately screened for sexual activity. And um, 
the the older male tutor who was sort of leading our group said, you know, every female patient of childbearing age is pregnant until proven otherwise. And he didn't consider her word as proven otherwise. And to me, that was pretty offensive because like as growing up as a teenager who was also queer and who like at the time wasn't sexually active, like my, my family doctor tested me to see if I was pregnant every time I came in. And I'm not an idiot. I know what an HCG blood test is for. And, um, he wouldn't tell me he was testing me, first of all. And second of all, he had already asked me if I had had sex. And to me, that just meant that he didn't believe me. And so I brought this up in this conversation we were having. And I said, you know, I think it really doesn't do anything for your physician-patient relationship if you are testing your patients or treating them as though their word is, is no good in terms of, like, telling you whether they're pregnant or not. And... Um, so that particular debate, and you know, there's, there's medical context to what we're talking about, and I can see where they're coming from. You certainly don't want to rule out pregnancy as a potential medical complication in any patient where that's possible. But I also, <laughs> just like for me, having brought that up in the group context, and having had it acknowledged by certain members of the group, but then having had like others, uh, male others in the room discard it and just move on with the conversation and saying, well, I'd test her anyway, was really a little, well, it was upsetting for me as, as a woman in that room. And I, um, I actually didn't get anything out of the debate that happened other like afterwards, because there were good points that were brought up, but it was just like, I was so upset about them having disregarded my patient experience as a woman that I couldn't really take in anything else that was offered in that context because I was just like, I, I was so angry. <laughs> I was the, another woman in that room with Casey and it was kind of the male consensus to like, just just to test her because that's something that you don't want to miss. However, it wasn't really pertinent to her, her actual medical care or her needs. And I really, and I argued the point and lots of members of the group argue point that basically if you did that and kept trying to test her for something which she denied, you're going to ruin the trust. But all the male people in that room were basically, no, you don't want to miss this. Like she might be pregnant she might be lying to you. And that I think that distrust, and it was quite sexist as well to just assume that someone's lying. And then the male pre, uh, tutor would tell stories of how like patients had lied to him in the past. And I'm like, do you think they lied because of the way you're asking? Because you're coming off as maybe more like kind of aggressive and assuming that they're pregnant like I I was kind of wondering to myself but. well I don't think it was lying necessarily either it was this assumption that women don't know what's going on with their bodies mm. and um if you say there's a difference between asking is there any chance you're pregnant and have you had vaginal intercourse in the last like two months like since your last menstrual period 
you know, like one of those is a way more specific way to ask and could rule out the potential for pregnancy much easier than, you know, is there any chance you're pregnant? Because of course, none of us wants to think we're pregnant. We're like, yeah, no, there's no way I'm pregnant. But, um, and so there's that. And there's also just like, I think we came to a good compromise as a group in like to say, you know, as part of protocol for the symptoms you're experiencing we usually test people for pregnancy and I believe you and I know you haven't had any sexual activity but I would still like to run this test as part of my protocol just so we can totally forget about it later you know like that's a different way to approach it than to say yeah we'll just test her anyway I think in that context too like I know I remember bringing up a story of when I had a TIA which is a mini stroke and I presented the emergency room and I had just gotten my period that day and they asked me, oh, are you sure this isn't your usual symptoms of your period? I'm like, yeah, I present to the emergency room whenever I get my period. Yeah, thanks. For the record, Megan looked terrible and she was having like all these weird neurological sy- symptoms on the right side of her body. Like it was not, it was not a period. People don't get paralyzed on their period. No. Or if they do. They probably know that that's why it's happening because it's probably happened to them before because, oh, shocker, around once every 28 days, <laughs> give or take. Um, I think that part of the pregnancy testing thing is what the issue so much isn't necessarily is it like are you pregnant or are you not pregnant, but has to do with patient autonomy and consent and that for some people, in the context of a female patient, um, their autonomy and consent, there's limits to it, and that their, you know, that that autonomy and consent can be violated within those limits. And I think that that's what a lot of people took objection to, you know, is that this is because this person is a woman. It is, and yeah. women that go in for healthcare are often not, their symptoms aren't treated seriously. So I would have to find studies to back this up, of course. But um, like a lot of symptoms are chalked up to uh, mental disorder, even if they're having like very physical symptoms that may be indicative of some sort of heart disease or things. Um, A lot of times it's assumed that women are playing up their symptoms so they're not as serious as they say that they are when really the opposite is usually true when usually the opposite is really true and i'm not sure if that's because of a lack of knowledge about how say women present with heart attacks compared to men because it is slightly different or if they're just not trusting yeah. women it's across all presentations um the more beautiful you are the less likely people are to believe you when you say you're in pain um, I could find the study for you if you wanted, but I looked into this quite. I looked into this quite a bit um, in time gone by. Okay, so um, we've been talking a lot about kind of the pregnancy situation in our um, in our case. That's part of our medical curriculum. Have you guys found any other sorts of sexist things that have happened within the medical curriculum? Did have upset you? I think just overall, we spend a lot more time talking about um, 
the examples were given in terms of sexual dysfunction and in terms of like the nerve systems that we learn like to control urination and stuff like that have been predominantly male examples or um, have involved penises and, and testes more than they've involved vaginas and uteruses and menstrual cycles. And so um, I feel like even as a, a woman, my understanding of how nerves from the sacral and lumbar plexus interact with anatomy in the pelvis is not as good as my understanding of those same nerves and how they act in a uh, in a male pelvis. And so there's just one example of what has happened by you know probably totally unintentional design, but it's easier to teach male anatomy, but why is it easier to teach? When we discuss certain issues um, that relate to physiology, pathophysiology, pathogenesis. Um, every once in a while, the male and female get really emphasized. And sometimes they don't. Um, a good example would be we talked about uh, knee joint injuries just last week uh, with particular emphasis on ACL injury. And for people that go through a female-type puberty, there are some important differences between um, male and female anatomy, uh, alignment of the hips, alignment of the tibia, the femurs, and how that changes with hip width, um, the way that estrogen impacts um, ligament tension throughout the growth cycle, stuff like that. That is really important, and we didn't really talk about it. It was very briefly mentioned. And then in some other situations, we belabor the gender differences when it might not actually have bear out in uh, terms of how we would treat and approach those patients differently. You know what I'm saying? Like it just doesn't have as much clinical significance. And you might not necessarily... Or good science. Or good science behind it. Yeah. And I don't know if you want to include like all the stuff like that I said about estrogen because now I'm really second guessing myself. Ooh, stereotype threat. Um, <laughs> but for sure, with that Q angle and the tibia and whatnot, like that's, it is good? Okay. Yeah. Anyways, though, like that, that is, that's really important. And the fact that, you know, women are just naturally, because of the anatomy of a feel, female type puberty, more predisposed to having those types of injuries and why, we didn't talk about that at all. I think that that's a problem across all of medicine and that impacts more than just um, cisgender women's health. Like we often are given gender as a, like a risk factor or a determining factor in treatment or something like this. And it's not often explained why. And like Rebecca said, there are instances where there's a good explanation for why that is. And it's good to elucidate those differences because especially like if you don't understand why the differences are, you're not going to be able to screen transgender patients well either. So for example, if you have a trans woman and 
you're wondering what are her risks for something. Um, if you don't understand whether something is about like hormone profile or if it's about um, like something else, then how are you going to know what her risks are? And that's one of the big problems in um, in treating transgender folks for a variety of different illnesses is that like we just we accept it at face value that gender is a certain risk for something, but we never actually learned why, or we didn't actually explore the science on why. And yeah, uh, yeah not to belabor that point too much, but... It's something that I, I think is a deficit in the way that we've been taught, at least so far in our preclinical years. And it'd be something that, you know, I think that future students could benefit from having yeah or explaining why like even all the risk factors why are these risk factors actually risk factors where's the science behind it because if you look into science a lot of the male female things like what Casey was saying like are they actually risk factors like or like is a societal thing is a hormonal thing is a physical thing like there's a few things that are like pretty concrete like with people with prostates probably more likely get prostate cancer than people without prostates but besides those very definitive things nothing else is really that concrete in my mind but even that that's like that's not a gender no no that's like a physical anatomy thing that is there like and then we had that one uh sti lecture where the screening was only for females for STIs because, oh, yeah, the infertility is a factor. But at the same time, you know, a lot easier to screen people with penises because you can just pee right into a cup. Usually you don't need swabs anymore. But he only emphasized that you need to screen females, which I think is my... Well, that STI lecture in particular was bad. This is... um, We had a lecture on... I don't know how specific I can get... I don't want to implicate anyone specifically. We had a lecture on STI screening in adolescent populations. And in every example of risky behavior, the person carrying out the risky decision-making process was female. And I had a huge problem with this lecture in particular and just like some of the offhand comments that he made. And I actually walked out of that lecture, so I can't tell you much more about what happened like after the first 10 minutes. But... It was still like, is that based on science? No. 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 And the same with the screening. Screening should be everyone that is sexually active, both genders, both sexes, both, anyone who is sexually active. That's what it should be because if you catch it in one, you treat them as well because you don't want to have someone that you say, oh, Males aren't affected by, like, the infertility issues, yet they're the ones who spread it. Like, they still should be screened. Yeah, I didn't understand the rationale behind that. I understood what Megan was saying about um, potentially the increased risk of infertility in women that contract STIs. But the reality is that there's a chlamydia epidemic going on right now, and... Let's just say it's not the, just the women that are spreading it. Like, and yet the women are the only ones that we're supposed to screen for chlamydia. 
And that's in direct contradiction to another lecture that we had from somebody who works at an STI clinic specifically and said, screen whoever you can, whenever you can. I mean, like within the, obviously ask for consent. It was a good lecture. They're like, hey, an eight-year-old, still screen them. Because you know what? That's like the second highest STI infection rate is in people that are elderly, that are in nursing homes and stuff like that. It's like, don't be biased. Anyone can have sex. Anyone can get an STI. Like, shit happens. Treat the patients the proper way that they need to be treated. The one that um, kind of really bothered me, actually, and felt like a loose end was when we were talking about depression and suicide and how there is a much greater risk for a woman, a person that identifies as female, to attempt suicide, but the likelihood of actually completing suicide was higher in males. And when this was described, it was kind of, they said things like, um, well, males are more likely to choose a more violent form of suicide, such as a, a gun to the head, rather than taking a handful of pills. Um, but to me, when, it was, when this was described, it kind of seemed like they were minimizing, minimizing the risk to women just because... So, because women were less likely to complete suicide statistically, it seemed like they were minimizing what these women were going through. So like, we don't have to worry about these women as much because they're less likely to complete suicide. And that just seemed absolutely ridiculous to me because the fact is that they're trying to commit suicide more, but because they're not completing, we worry about them less. Did you guys get that impression? Yeah, we got that, yeah. Definitely. And I think it's too as well as like, they're like, oh, men choose a more violent method. I'm like, females also choose that like violent methods as well. I think it may be more of like a societal things that females more likely to like take pills because it's like a more peaceful death. Maybe, maybe that's just a gender stereotype that we all have been ingrained with that if we're going to kill ourselves, we should do it in a like less violent way. But like, doesn't it doesn't matter what which method is the, the only thing that matter is that you have a patient that's suffering and that has got to the point where they want they want to kill themselves it shouldn't matter what method it shouldn't matter who completes it more it should only matter that they have attempted it and that they're feeling that way it should all be about the patient and the patient care and i think having like all these different emphases on who chooses which more method like that that's so not pertinent to their care so we we talked a lot about sexism within the actual curriculum but how about just sexist lecturers guys oh the the one my favorite my absolute favorite sexist comment was when we're talking about why physical activity is uh, declining in teenagers, and it showed that no, yeah, so female teenagers have uh, they participate in physical activity less than males, and the lecturer 
to quote, which is just so fun. He was like, yeah, we don't really know the reason why teenager, teenage females participate in physical activity less. It must be because they're always on their cell phones. I was so unimpressed. <laughs> that, that was my favorite because he just made that as an offhanded sexist joke. And like, you could hear some awkward laughs but like most people were like, oh, why? Why would you do this? <laughs> why? I just don't understand. We talked about this before about how outright sexism, like women being denied access to certain, certain careers or certain things is happening less and less these days as women can kind of do everything that a man can do. But it... The sexism is still pervasive, and I think the reason that it's not going away anytime soon is because people make jokes about it. And when people make jokes about something, it like it puts it into other people's brains that it's it's, it's something funny. It's something that can be kind of accepted in a way. So when you're making a joke about it, then um, people think that it's okay. Because it's funny, because other people laughed, and suddenly you've got it spreading more and more. I am not being very articulate right now, no. but you know what I mean. It's kind of like rape jokes. Like, you know, by making a rape joke, it, you might inadvertently You're- give this idea to a rapist that rape is something that's funny and something that's okay, something that makes people laugh. And suddenly it's socially acceptable. And that's what I mean about sexist jokes is that suddenly casual sexism becomes socially acceptable and it just continues. Okay. So something else I really wanted to talk about with you all is... um, Do you ever feel like you have to change some aspect of yourself when you're going into a medical setting as a medical student in order to be taken seriously as a woman? All the time. (laughs) Tell me, Casey. Tell me. So there's this issue of professionalism, which is, you know... Part of professionalism is is understanding what society's expectations are of you as a physician. And part of that is also this debate between, like, do we live up to society's expectations of... Like, our, oh man, this is going to be a hard thing to articulate, but... So if if... If I were to not wear makeup... Would that be seen as unprofessional by some people? Absolutely. If I were to wear too much makeup, would that be seen as unprofessional by some people? Absolutely. Do my male colleagues have to worry about this? Absolutely not. You know, and so, like, I just wonder... The standards of professionalism seem to me to be different for men and women, and also, like, the standards of dress we had that one lecture on professionalism where all of the examples of unprofessional dress were female people strutting their stuff 
actual quote from the lecture. Oh, and, and, you know, like, they were all things about don't wear a top that's too low and don't wear a skirt that's too high. And on the one hand, I understand that because, yeah, sure, there's practical implications and um, stuff like that. But at the same time, there are unprofessional standards for men and why are you only emphasizing the ones for women? I also find, too, with the makeup thing, like, I took a whole different stance to the professionalism side of things. Like, I will be professional, I'll wear the appropriate clothes, but I have taken a stance on not to wear makeup because I will have an allergic reaction. And you know what's less professional? Someone who can't see. Someone whose <laughs> eyes are so swollen that they can't see. You know what? That's, that's more unprofessional. But at the beginning... Yeah. No, true, true, but big swollen eyes because of something I did to myself doesn't look that good. Or like really red bloodshot eyes probably doesn't look the best. But yeah, I, I took a different stance to it. But at the beginning of school, before I started developing all my allergies, I would. I would purposely, I would wake up, I would straighten my hair, I would make sure I looked nice, I would put on makeup because that was what was expected of me. This year took a whole different stance because you know what? I don't want to be itchy. And that's, but that's the only reason why I changed my stance was because I have a medical reason why I can't do that. But like putting that much emphasis on us to look, look better and we have to have our hair nicer and different like makeup in different ways like that. The male students, they don't have to deal with that. They literally, they wake up. They put on some pants, they put on the top, they go. Yeah, we're supposed to wear, like, even the shoes, too. Like, that's there's a whole nother level of sexism that we have to wear nicer shoes or, like, flats or stuff like that, which is so uncomfortable and, like, not good for your posture or your health at all, but we're expected to do that to look more professional. And, like, I see people wearing heels for, like, four to six hours of standing to look more professional and that's like so painful I could not do that and I don't but I don't think you have to either like I think there's a certain do you feel like people treat you differently because you dress differently from other female medical students I think yeah I think so and I feel like a few people would like made comments to me that I wasn't wearing wearing heels until they kind of got used to that fact so there were some like awkward comments. I haven't had that happen to me, but um, in terms of doing things to kind of alter yourself, how you present, how you act, that kind of thing, um, to avoid actions, comments that are sexist, I try to deliberately defeminize myself just about as much as possible. I've cut my hair short. I don't wear mascara or eye makeup. Don't wear much for makeup at all, actually. Um, collared shirts. And really try to present about as non-binary as I can. Why? Part of it has to do with stereotype threat. Part of it has to do with the fact that um, I feel like I'm not held to the same negative or oppressive gendered standards of femininity 
when I defeminize myself. And I definitely haven't gotten as much unwanted sexual attention since doing that um, in any environment. So there, there's a few different reasons for it. Did I answer your question? I feel like I kind of got a little bit off track. I have a follow-up question. Okay. Do you think people treat you differently? Um, do you think they take you more seriously when you present this way as opposed to a more feminine presentation? Um, if I didn't feel like I got treated with more respect and um, more sincerity from people by doing this, I, I don't think I would do it. So, yes, people take you more seriously and give you well, more respect. I don't know if they do or not. It's just kind of the way I feel about it. And I'm choosing defeminization as a strategy to make myself feel better. Mm. And by making myself feel better, I make myself more effective, which is where the stereotype threat comes in. Are you familiar with it? I know you mentioned it earlier, but do you guys know what that means? Tell me about it. Okay, it's basically, in a nutshell, it's um, this phenomenon that's been extensively researched in psychology where if you have negative stereotypes associated with you and you're aware of them and your attention's brought to them, your performance declines. Mm -hmm. So, um, for example, like, say I was in a clinical-style situation and... Um, a patient made a comment, a sexist comment that made me feel like I was experiencing that stereotype threat, maybe because of the anxiety surrounding it and not wanting to be associated with that negative stereotype, I might carry out the examination with um, less efficiency or fluidity, for example, as I might have without that stereotype threat. I'm not saying that did happen for sure or, or would happen for sure, it's just an example to illustrate. I think I have another example for an illustration. When I was doing my paramedic training, um, we were doing a boot camp where we were learning to drive the ambulance in, uh, in slippery conditions. And I'm a pretty confident driver. Like, I don't, um, I think I'm a pretty good driver. But before I started my run, the preceptor sort of stuck his head in the window and said, hey, if you want to beat the boys, drop it into a lower gear. And I was like, what do you mean if you want to break the boys or, or beat the boys? And I just kind of was like a little flustered by the way he had said that. And then I felt like if I did badly, that people would equate that with women driving badly. And it wouldn't just be, you know, like, a personal failure where I couldn't drive the ambulance through this course, which, you know, plenty of people messed up. There were a lot of mistakes made that day, but I felt personally as though, like, if I made a mistake, it would be some, like, bigger statement about how women drive. And so I got really flustered. And, I mean, I did okay, but, like, I made some mistakes, and I don't think I would have made them if I hadn't been as flustered. Is that like an example of stereotype oh, yeah. threat? That's perfect. And you know, when you when you're feeling a little bit anxious, especially when you feel that um, personal relevance, that personal significance, you got less oxygen going to your neocortex. Like, you're just you're not gonna do as well. Uh, what I find really unfortunate is that. Um, for me at least, 
feeling like I need to change my appearance or the way that I act in order to be taken seriously, it's not really something that's come externally. And that's a little bit distressing to me. So I don't, I've never had anyone directly like comment on the amount of makeup I was wearing in a professional situation or comment on my outfit being appropriate or inappropriate. So for me, I think a lot of it is unfortunately internalized sexism. So things that I think I'm expected to look like or act like as a woman. Mm-hmm. And that's frustrating to me because... I don't want to be held back by something like that. But at the same time, society's kind of telling me how I need to act. So I feel like this is what I need to do in order to be taken seriously as a professional. Going back to Rebecca's comment on uh, defeminizing yourself, I feel like like that's a very valid like reason like because you want to get treated with more respect. And also to get less, like, weird, gross comments. Like, in my family preceptor office, I w- like, the preceptor introduced me as a second-year medical student. The picture's like, oh, is this your girlfriend? Ooh. And my pre- male preceptor's like 60. And we were both like, ugh, like, why was that said? Like, there was no reason to say that. It just was creepy and gross. And I'm like, I feel like if I looked less feminine, probably... They wouldn't have said that. So it was it was it was disturbing to say the least. Yeah, I get comments like that all the time, like when you know, for example, if my preceptor was gonna leave me in the room, this happens all the time where like um the preceptor introduces you and then says, Okay, I'm gonna step out for a few minutes, talk to the medical student, um, she'll get your history, stuff like that, and then inevitably some older man will say oh you're gonna leave me alone in here with her and I'm just like oh this is really uncomfortable for me but um like I feel like I'm I'm compromising that personal value of mine where in any other situation I would say look man that's not appropriate you can't say shit like that but in this context I want to maintain a professional setting and so I feel like to draw more attention to it would be unprofessional and maybe compromise my patient like patient provider relationship and so I don't say anything and you know like is there another way in which you guys have altered your persona to fit professionalism or like to maintain a professional relationship for what you're saying it sounds like we've all had issues where we're trying to change ourselves to fit this professionalism ideal and it feels like having this professionalism ideal in the medical school is really just allowing us to be more mistreated and to have to deal with a lot more sexist comments and and I know like and there's racist comments that other students have have to deal with because they don't want to confront the person because they feel that it might ref, like reflect negatively on them especially if the preceptor like was against you speaking up for yourself and like in that situation you wanted to maintain a professional environment and but like you said, in any other context, you would have said something. And now, would, like, I just I just think that this whole pro- being professional thing is really taking 
at least part of our right to actually defend ourselves because we're so worried about what the consequences are. And that's such a big problem. Because I know, like, I would speak up a lot more if I wasn't worried that I might get marked negatively for professionalism and it might affect my future career. And it's really just putting us in a position to accept things that make us feel bad and to make us just realize that, like, we can't defend ourselves. But for me, it's more than that. It's not like in that particular context, I'm not worried about how that will affect my future career or my professional identity so much as I worry that if I bring it up, it'll make the patient awkward. And how do I balance the patient's need for a comfortable relationship with their physician with my need to be respected in that environment. And that's another thing that I ran into, like um, I worked for a year as a paramedic before coming to medical school and people, you know, like people are stressed and people are angry and people are scared and sick and no one's at their best in an emergency 911 situation. And I let a lot of things that people say slide off my back. And some of them were sexist, some of them were not. Some of them were just, you know, people are angry and scared and yell at you because you're the closest person around. And part of my professional identity is sort of like not taking that personally. And I have a hard time finding the line between um, what I'm willing to tolerate in the context of patient care Versus, you know, like what I'm willing to tolerate as a person. Does that make sense? But do you think you're going to be able to provide the best care for a patient if they're, if you don't feel respected by them? Because I feel like consciously you think you will, but subconsciously, I don't think you would. I think, I think if as soon as you dislike a patient in that way and you don't speak up and you're always thinking, oh, they're going to say something else, it might not be at the forefront, but it'll be present in your mind. And I honestly, like, I, like, I know we're always taught, we're like, we're going to have to provide the best patient care for everyone, and we have to set, accept all these patients and stuff like that, but I want to go into my office and be happy with the medical treatment I provide and be respected. Like, I don't think I'm going to stand for disrespect, and like, as medical students, we're kind of, kind of forced into this position where you kind of have to accept some of these things. But I don't, I don't think I would want a career where I had patients that didn't respect me as a, as a woman. I don't think I would be able to provide the best care that I could because you, if you get flustered by that comment, you might miss some things because you're flustered. And that is like a stereotype threat because you're, you're emotional and you're reacting to something that a person said that's so not right that you might miss something. So I guess where I'm wondering, like, is it more practical for me to just learn to brush that off? Or is it more practical for me to educate every single patient that I come across that that's not appropriate? Because I feel like that is more emotional work than just letting it go. But then you're compromising the respect that you have for yourself because of all that emotional work that you have to do. You're kind of 
except in the fact that these things are the things that are going to happen and you're not going to be able to change them. And that's a vicious cycle that like I experience that all of us are going to experience is like how much energy you're going to put into these things. Or are you just going to accept the fact that people make sexist comments? But the thing is though, that like, is it going to change anything? The, I agree with Casey. This is not any one person's no. problem. This is not something that has to be fixed by one person. This is a large and systemic issue that everyone needs to work on changing. So I agree that for now, it's probably best for, at least for me, it would be best for my own mental health to brush off comments like that and just move on with my day rather than over and over again confront maybe these hurtful feelings of discrimination every single time you see a patient. So I think what we have to do is we just have to all, like everyone, rally together to decrease sexism as a systemic thing and not on a one-to-one personal basis. Yeah, I think, like, I'm obviously, I brush off most of the comments that happen It just, it really makes me sad that we have to do that. Mm -hmm. And that like, and like confronting things, it would take so much time and energy and effort. And I agree with Casey, but it just, it just makes me sad and it makes me sick that we have to do that. So what can we do about it? Like, what are some things that we can do and we can encourage other people to do? It doesn't have to be big steps, but to... decrease some of that systemic sexism that exists honestly if we had better lecturers and more people that weren't sexist teaching us because all we're doing is we're breathing it into the next generation of doctors that oh it's okay to make these sexist jokes and it's okay to only screen screen uh, females or only females are the ones who have set uh, risk-taking behaviors for sex like, I feel like if we kind of change the medical school mentality, maybe it might fix some some things for doctors. But honestly, it's such a big societal problem that lots of people don't even address still and still argue with things that are proven that I don't actually know what steps we could take to fix any of these problems. Having more females as doctors? Yeah, because I don't get these comments when I'm a female preceptor. And it's like a lot better environment when you have a female preceptor. But, again, there's just a drop in the bucket. I think that it, like I said before, um, I think the main problem with sexism as it exists today is that people treat it casually people make jokes about it and that's what perpetuates it so i think that a really easy and well easy i mean it might not be easy emotionally but a step that could be taken is just not accepting that so when people make sexist jokes or sexist sexist comments they expect to come off positively just don't treat it as a positive situation And if people realize that eventually they're not getting the positive kind of laughs out of their sexist jokes anymore, then maybe, hopefully, they'll start to realize that 
it's not a joke and it's not something that should be joked about and that could decrease some of the some of the sexism eventually it would take a while i'm sure but all right well i would just like to thank you all for being on my show my very first episode it's all very exciting and I would like to thank anyone that's listening to this right now. I hope that I can bring some more interesting discussions on sensitive topics in medicine in the future. Have a great day.